Good evening and welcome once again to the digital campus of Newark UPC. We're glad to have you with us tonight. I keep forgetting to mention that you can find out a lot more about us by going to newarcupc.info. Uh, there are all kinds of information there about our children's programs, about small groups, and uh, you're welcome and invited to join with us there and find out a little bit more info about Newark UPC. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. And this coming week, we'll be focusing on biblical mothers and their stories. I realize that sometimes our holidays can be rough on those who, for one reason or another, don't fit into the standard mold. And if you should happen to be in that category, please know that our intention is uh, not to cause you further distress. But we're dealing with a topic this week, which can be a help, great help to many people. And uh, it needs to be taught as we're instructed by Paul in his writings to Titus. Now, Stephen and I will be joining the mothers on the pastoral team to present this series. Tonight, I want to start us out with a biblical allegory featuring two mothers and their sons. These women didn't get along very well and their dispute is still roiling civilization 4,000 years later. Uh, these battles occur both in natural and spiritual realms. So let's go ahead and turn to Galatians. Uh, we'll begin in chapter 4 and verse 22, and we'll be using the New Living Translation. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live under the slavery uh, to the law, or live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. The King James Version says, the mother of us all. Uh, verse 27, as Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like 
Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. If you are familiar with the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, Isaac, and Ishmael, uh, that fits right in with that story. And Paul is turning it into an allegory, a, using it symbolically to give us some instruction. Now, some people overdo typology and symbolism, but it is a valid part of biblical analysis. The parables, which we have just recently studied, are good examples of truths within stories, which can be brought to the surface by proper interpretation. And Jesus provided some keys to unlock those symbols. In the foregoing scripture, Paul provides the key of the symbolism embedded in the story of Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac. You see, bond and free breathe the same air. They walk the same ground. They see the same moon and stars. And they are subject to the same diseases and storms. While Nero could travel anywhere the modes of transportation in his day would carry him, he was always a slave to his passions. And though Paul was chained in a dungeon, he was free in his spirit. Now, the picture that, that Paul presents here is of two mothers and their offspring as stand-ins or, or symbols of the law and Christianity. Hagar, the slave girl, is a symbol of Mount Sinai, where a bunch of former slaves who still had that kind of a mindset and, and an outlook of slaves received the law to which they constrained themselves with chains of bondage. Uh, that's all then identified as earthly Jerusalem, which stood not only as the capital of Judea, but of Judaism. And these descendants of former slaves looked out from their situation and they saw mud instead of stars. What was intended as a schoolmaster, a guardian or a protector, became instead a restricting limitation on their every move. Their mentality of the lash and the chain became the lens through which they perceived even the beneficence of God. In contrast, Sarah represents the fulfilled promise that was given long before the law. 
She is described as symbolic of the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, that heavenly Jerusalem that is free. And although Paul could have continued farther in his family story, he confined the illustration only to the first two of Abraham's sons. In point of fact, seven of Abraham's eight sons did not turn out all that well. The obvious difference in each case was the mother, Hagar, Sarah, and Keturah. In keeping with Paul's parameters, we'll confine ourselves to those first two women. So these two women typify the two distinct systems in Paul's mind. Hagar stood for the earthly Jerusalem, center of a Jerusalem, Judaism, pardon me, morphed into legalistic bondage with its temple and its ceremonies. Sarah, on the other hand, was the symbol stand-in for the heavenly Jerusalem, the destination of the redeemed, in which there was no need of a built tabernacle. For God himself was the temple or center of worship there. And you'll find that in Revelation 21, verse 22. The social distinction and differentiation between bondage, the attitude, and not just the condition, and freedom are as separate and diverse as those two cities, bond and free. As different as those two cities are, these two women are just as distinct, and God intends for the demarcation between the world and his church to be symbolized by these two women. As confusing as it could sound, the church is collectively the mother of each of us individually. Uh, some things can only make sense in parables and typology, but as surely as generation follows generation in the natural world, those who are birthed by the church are to become the birthing church or birthing the church that succeeds them. It uh, doesn't take much traveling to pick up on the idea that churches have different personalities. Those mannerisms and customs of the whole then affect the individuals who make up that whole. As families differ in distinctives because of background, and education, employment, and and other factors, so churches are a product of, of multiple factors besides the grace of God and the power of the cross. The ongoing symbolism of maternal influence is found as far back as, as the song of Deborah in Judges 5 and 7, where she refers to herself as a mother in Israel. Uh, that same phrasing is used again in, in 2 Samuel 20, when the wise woman dissuaded Joab from destroying a city and a mother in Israel. In addition to this, we have the instance of 
Jochebed's power in the life of Moses and the power of even the sporadic influence of Hannah in shaping the values of, of Samuel in the midst of evils being perpetrated in the very tabernacle of God. Possibly a, a less noticeable, but still significant indication of the power of mothers is, is found in the repetition of the names and often the backgrounds of the mothers of the kings of Israel and Judah. 17 times in introducing the reign of a king, the name of his mother is given as a noteworthy bit of information. Though we aren't currently privy to a People magazine synopsis of these women's lives. Uh, this information was surely important data to the original readers in understanding the actions of those who were their leaders. Those 17 kings populate a spectrum encompassing both good and evil. Let me give you the list here. Uh, they are Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijam, also known as Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Ahaziah, Jehoash, Amaziah, Azariah, who we know better as Uzziah, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amnon, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoachin, who's also known as uh, Jeconiah, or Jeremiah calls him Coniah in the 22nd chapter of his writings. And finally, Zedekiah. You'll find they're both good and bad kings. And uh, they're all defined, at least in part, by who were their mothers. The importance and impact of a mother is, is hard to estimate or understand. Sometimes what a mother does seems so minor or is over, overlooked even by the one that is influenced. What a uh, mother teaches early is not even remembered many times is something that's learned. My mother taught me to brush my teeth, to button and zip and snap. And I have a, a very vague memory of her instructing me in how to tie my shoes with a bow knot. I think it, I remember that because it was so traumatic and so difficult to, to learn that. But now, because she taught me, uh, newsflash, I can tie my shoes without even thinking about it. Uh, those other things, brushing I, I they seem like I was born knowing how to do them because mother taught me so much so young and as I grew she she always seemed to have the right answer for my questions there were times she had advice and solutions when I'd not even yet realized that I needed guidance or had a problem more than once, a well-timed word 
saved me from a lot of difficulties during my teen years. Those times when I learned to spread my wings to take flight as a responsible adult. Was she perfect? Of course not. She had multiple health problems from rheumatoid arthritis to glaucoma that caused her not only the side of one eye, but the eye itself. She struggled with depression and sought help to deal with that problem. Then she died from pneumonia that was brought on in part by a degenerative nerve disease known as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or maybe you know it better as Lou Gehrig's disease. Mothers are, by disposition, fiercely protective of their children. Both Sarah and Hagar were very aggressive in seeking what they considered best for their offspring. As a mother, the church should be no less intense in its defense and training of the progeny, the spirit births into its care. Let me bring us toward a close tonight with a short writing from the late Irma Bombeck, a prolific writer and, and humorist. Now, uh, we all know that what she wrote is not going to be exactly scriptural, may not even at times be within waving distance of it, but she wrote about when God created mothers. I'd like to read it to you tonight. When the good Lord was creating mothers, he was into his sixth day of overtime. When the angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling around on this one. And God said, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable. Run on black coffee and leftovers. Have a lap that disappears when she stands up. The kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointed love affair. And six pairs of hands. The angel shook her head so slowly and said, six pairs of hands? No way. Well, it's not the hands that are causing me problems, God remarked. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. That's the standard model, asked the angel, and God nodded. One pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, what are you kids doing in there? When she already knows. Another here in the back of her head that sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the ones here in front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say, I understand, and I love you, without so much as uttering a word. God, the angel, touching his sleeve gently, get some rest tomorrow. Oh, I can't, said God. I'm so close to creating something so close to myself. 
I already have one who heals herself when she's sick, can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger, and can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the model of a mother very slowly. It's too soft, she sighed. Oh, but tough, said God excitedly. You, you just can't imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only can it think, but it can reason and compromise, said the creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran her finger across the cheek. There's a leak, she pronounced. I told you that you were putting too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. What's it for? Oh, it's for joy, for sadness, disappointment, pain, loneliness, and pride. You are a genius, said the angel. Somberly, God said, I didn't put that there. Can we pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, we hallow your name, and we give thanks for the church you have purchased with your precious blood. In your creative wisdom, you've provided a spiritual mother to cherish and nourish all of your children, a mother to guard and feed us when we are so spiritually young and weak that caring for ourselves is above our capability and understanding, a mother that teaches us to walk with you and gives a model of communing with you and heeding your voice. Thank you for the mother, the church, that guides us in your word to a maturity that makes us profitable to the kingdom and teaches us the boundaries protecting us from the dangers of the world and yet grants the liberty to operate as children of the king. Thank you for the church that not only mothers us, but allows us to become a vital part of the labor of love that a mother provides. Help us to appropriately fill that role. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Visit us at newarchupc.info and join us again Tuesday night and through the rest of the week as we continue to talk about biblical mothers and their stories. God bless you. Good night.